as you look at the list of shared prayer needs, we have a multiplicity of needs. Listen to these words that we don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews was, but he was an Old Testament theologian. And he writes to us these words of encouragement and of great comfort. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice we're not called to an altar. We're not called into a place where we're meeting politicians. But we are invited to come near to the throne because he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one with whom no thing is impossible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who rules, who reigns, a God who is able to do the impossible. A God who is not made of stone or wood. A God who is not a carved image that we pick up and carry around with us. But you are the one who from no thing has made all things. You're the one who speaks as it comes to pass. You're the one who commands and authorizes, empowers Moses to, to strike that rushing river. And now we walk across on dry land. So, Lord, we, we look at our our friends, our loved ones, our families, and we have so many concerns, so many burdens, so many needs. Some of us need healing. Some of us have lost loved ones, fathers, husbands. And there'll be days when we, we feel alone, days when we will still call their name out and they are not there to answer. So, to the God of all comfort, we seek this morning your comfort. To our loved ones who struggle with sicknesses, diseases, we pray, Father, for your hand to reach out, to lead, to guide, to God. Father, we think of so many neighbors, so many folks who have reached their golden years. 
we pray, Father, that you would use us, empower us, give us opportunities to speak of our Savior. So this morning, Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would open that word to us as Jesus did to the disciples on that road to Emmaus. You would open the word that we would understand. You'd open our minds that we can plummet the depths. You would speak to our hearts. You would change us. You would change our lives. We pray, Father, that the meditations of my heart, of all of our hearts, and the words of my lips would be pleasing to you, my God and my Savior. I pray these things, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, last time I was a naughty boy. And I overstayed my welcome. So I, this really does mean something today. I'm going to work hard to watch that. I want to read one verse from the Gospel of John. And then we're going to go back into the Older Testament to the, the life of Abraham. So we're looking at John chapter 8. And as happens... On many occasions, Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and his own disciples are listening. And at one point, Jesus speaks these words to the Pharisees. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. I'm going to let the life, or part of the life of Abraham and Isaac exegete those verses for us this morning. I'm going back to Genesis chapter 22. And for some of you, that will be a a familiar passage. I'm going to read it slowly to you. We're reading it from verse 1 to verse 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He, the Lord said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes And saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship 
and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And the angel said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, saying you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jareh, the Lord will provide. That is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. He was born in 1923 in New Mexico. His parents named the child Lloyd Oliver. Lloyd grew up with a strong patriotic sense. And when in 1941 the United States entered World War II, Lloyd immediately signed up and he joined the Marines. He rose to the rank of corporal. But the Marines rarely called Lloyd corporal. Usually they called Lloyd the one of the 29. When the Marines went into the Pacific, they recognized that they needed some way of reconnaissance to figure out the movement of the Japanese troops. So they needed someone to go ahead, to infiltrate, to seek out 
what the Japanese were doing, where they were going, how they were deploying, what equipment they were bringing, and where their lines of attack were going to be. And so they came to Lloyd. They said, Lloyd, you are a member of the Navajo Indian tribe. And we've got another 28 Navajos here. We want you, 29, to develop a military code that will enable you to transmit messages back to us to tell us what the Japanese are doing and where they're going to attack and where they're weakest and where they're strongest. Those 29 Navajos developed that code. The Japanese never cracked it. They never figured out what they were saying because they couldn't speak Navajo. Neither can I. They were called the code talkers. And those who know the details of World War II will tell you that that work of those courageous 29 Navajos who went beyond the front lines and who secretly figured out what was going on, those 29 co-talkers were crucial to the victories that we, because I've become an American citizen, that we achieved in the Pacific. So here's my first question for you today. Do you know the code? No, no, not, not the Navajo code. Not the code on your safe in your home. But do you know the code that opens up the scriptures of the Older Testament? See, the Lord has given us 66 books. 29 of those we call the New Testament. 29 of those are, are fairly, for the most part, straightforward for us. But there's 39 that tend to be a bit difficult. In fact, for the most part, most 21st century believers, they carry this. They understand this. They carry the big book, but when it comes to reading, to study, to teaching, to seeing Jesus, this is what they have. This is where they are. Why? Why does all of the Scripture not speak to us? Why is it we can't see Jesus? This morning, if I give you the book of Judges, could you show me Jesus? If, if I put you alongside that chariot, and that Ethiopian eunuch was reading that scroll. Could you teach him about Jesus? If you didn't have the New Testament, if you had a Hebrew neighbor, friend, 
could you witness to him using only the 39? I suspect the answer, if we were being true, would be to say, well, in a few scattered prophecies, I could speak about Jesus. On the road to Emmaus, Jerusalem to Emmaus is about 12 miles. Emmaus is to the west and the north of Jerusalem. On those 12 miles, Jesus came to two disciples after his crucifixion and resurrection. And their eyes were prevented from seeing and knowing Jesus. But on that walk to Emmaus, he took them on a walk through the 39. And he opened to them the Scriptures. He took them on a walk through the Bible. And did not their hearts burn? And for the rest of those 40 days after the resurrection, I believe Jesus spent that time teaching them Christology of the first 39 books. So this morning I want to talk about the code. It took me a long time to discover the code, to know the code, to understand the code. But when the Lord finally opened my eyes, my heart burned. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, look here, your father Abraham, you know that one that you adore and almost worship? That old patriarch way back there? You know, your father Abraham, do you know that he saw my day, he saw it, and he rejoiced. Now, there are three foci in that verse, three focal points. The first one is my day. Now, what does my day refer to? Was it that Abraham had a glimpse of what might happen? Was it that, that Abraham had one, one prophecy from heaven that the Lord showed him? Well, if you ask me about Ireland, I lived there the first 24 years of my life. I would say, well, back in my day, back in my day, and that wasn't a moment, a minute, 24 hours. No, it was a period of time. Back in that period, that's what Jesus is saying. Abraham saw the day of Jesus. He saw the day of Jesus. Abraham saw the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I know you think I've just gone off the cliff. I know you just think I've gone into outer space. But 
I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus says twice in that verse, Abraham saw. Now, in my first life in Ireland, I was a teacher of English language and English literature. English teachers are strange birds. They talk about dangling participles, gurons, and they get excited about it. So let me teach you a little English from the Greek. Abraham saw. That first verb, the focus is on the mood. Now those that are smiling are those that are former English teachers. The mood of the verb. He used the subjunctive mood. It means that Abraham knew that he would see at some point in the future. It was a promise he was given. Abraham, you will see the day of the Messiah. But the second saw, Jesus chooses to use the aorist tense in the Greek. And the closest thing to that is the English perfect tense. It is a completed action. The deal is done. When Jesus says, Abraham would see, then he follows up, he said, and Abraham did see. He saw my birth, my life, my death, my resurrection. Now, before someone starts calling 911, look at the third focal point. Jesus says, Abraham had joy. Joy. Now, the first joy there, the word means to celebrate. The second rejoicing or be glad means to bubble over with happiness or joy. So what's the deal with my day? What's the deal with what Abraham saw? Well, the code, the secret, is joy. What brought joy to Abraham? Yitzhak. Yitzhak. Some of you know a little bit about classical music. Some of you know that there is a famous violinist, Yitzhak. We translate that. Isaac. The Hebrew word means laughter. Laughter. What brought joy to Abraham? Laughter. Isaac. Isaac. The Lord used the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Isaac to show Abraham my day. My day. Again and again in the Older Testament, the Lord will use the life of a person or an event in that person's life 
to reveal his beloved son. All right, I'm watching the clock. So let me just race through the first set of points. He knew, he saw, that he would be Jesus, the promised son. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, the Lord comes to Abraham and he promises him that he will have a son. Abraham laughs, he disbelieves, he's skeptical. The Lord takes him out of the tent and says, Abraham, look up. What do you see? Well, it's uh, 7 p.m., Lord. I see stars. Abraham counted. How, how many? Look, come on, Lord. I can't count them. There's so many. Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a posterity that's that huge. Lord, um, you know, we've been childless for a long time. Sarai's womb is empty. Abraham, I'm telling you, she's going to bear you a son. The promised son. The long-expected son. Abraham was given that promise when he was 75. And for 25 years, they longed, they waited, they hoped a son would come through Sarah. Can you... Can you imagine those conversations? Months after months after months after years. No, no, I'm, I'm not pregnant. The empty womb give way to a barren womb. The barren womb give way to a dead womb. She reached the place where after 25 years of clinging to the promise and to the expectation, they figured it was impossible. Impossible. And then Abraham discovered that the son would be coming through a supernatural birth. Abraham, next year, Sarah is going to bear you a son and you're going to name him Isaac for he will bring you laughter. Lord, um, you just missed one little thing. Um, I'm 99. She's 90. Lord, biologically, it is impossible Abraham, you've missed one little thing. And then Moses gives us a phrase. As Moses writes Genesis, Moses gives us a phrase that the angel declares to Mary. The Lord says to to Abraham, Abraham, is anything impossible? Is anything too hard? The angel said that to Mary. Those same words. 
from a dead womb, I can and I will bring life. From a virgin womb, I can and I will bring life. And she did. And there was joy. But when we come to Genesis 22, we reach the climax. Abraham, I want you to take laughter. I want you to take Yitzhak. I want you to take, and then it moves into slow-mo. Your son, your only son, your beloved son. Have you heard those words before? Do you know who the, the only son is and the beloved son is? Why don't you take this son who has become your life and your joy and your laughter? You wanted to take him to that place where David will buy property, real estate, and offer up an offering, and where Solomon later on will build his temple. To that very place, I want you to take laughter. And I want you to slaughter. And offer him up as a burnt offering. Can you, can you feel Abraham's pain? Can you feel the agony? Can you feel the pangs of loss? I've lost my firstborn son. My only beloved son is in heaven today. I know what that loss feels like. And so they go on that trip to Moriah. And they leave the two young men with the donkey. And the wood that Abraham has cut, he takes and he places on the shoulders of Isaac. He lets Isaac carry the very wood that will consume his body. And Abraham takes the torch and the knife. And off they go up that mountain. And at some point, Isaac turns to Abraham and he says, he says, Dad, I've got the wood. You've got the fire. Where is the Lamb of God? And from the depths of his believing heart, from the depths of a heart that trusts in God, Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And they climb some more, and Isaac realizes that They've reached a place on Moriah where there are no herdsmen. There are no flocks of goats or sheep. He doesn't even see a stray wild goat. And the firstborn son, the only son, the beloved son, the promised son, realizes 
I am the Lamb of God. I am the sacrificial Son. And they get there and Abraham builds the altar. He takes the wood off Isaac and he lays it carefully on the altar. He takes the rope that had bound the wood and he tightly wraps it around Isaac so that Isaac cannot move and resist. And he picks up Isaac. Can you see those large tears? Can you feel that heavy heart as I offer up my firstborn, only born, beloved son? And he lays him on that altar. Did he turn his back so that Isaac couldn't see the knife? And then he turns quickly. And the, the Hebrew is without mercy. It uses that awful word. He turned with the knife to slaughter. Now that's a priestly word. That's a word that belongs in the temple. To slaughter the sacrificial animal. Then the angel cries out, don't touch that boy. Look up, Abraham. It wasn't a lamb, but it was a ram. And Abraham took that rope and boy did he unleash Isaac in in his feet. And he grabbed Isaac and lifted him up. Can you hear the laughter? Can you hear the laughter? Can you see the tears? They're slapping, they're high-fiving, they're dancing for joy. Because my son who was dead is alive. My son who was dead has been raised to new life. No, I'm not crazy. Hebrews says that. When he got Isaac back, it was as if he had been raised from the dead. Jesus says, your father Abraham, you know what? He saw my day. He saw my birth. He knew it would be supernatural. He saw my life. He saw that I would be the suffering servant. And he saw that the father would not withhold death. I would be the ram. I would be the substitute. And Abraham rejoiced because it wasn't his son. It was the father's son. He was free. He was delivered. He was rescued because of the mercy and the grace of God. I'm going to close right now with two questions. You and me are on that highway that leads us to the valley of the shadow. Have you felt Abraham's pain 
for your sin. And have you reached the place of laughter in the Isaac who died at Calvary? Now, will you go home? Will you pray that the Lord will give you the code to see Jesus in the first 39? To cause you to read it, not finding moral stories or lessons for life, but words of salvation through the Christ. Let's pray. Father, our eyes are dull. Like the disciples, we don't see. We don't understand. We need you to come and open those 39 books. And with that, with Abraham, you give us laughter, Father, to see the beloved Son of God. And Father, this morning, would you come? Would you burn in our hearts that hope, that trust, that faith in Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and the Savior of sinners. I pray it, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen.